Hello and a very warm welcome to Edie's Susty Talks. If you're new here, these are our short but sweet audio interviews over 20 minutes or less designed to keep us all a bit more connected and informed about the world of sustainable business, even if we are short on time. Um, and I'm delighted to be hosting a special edition today to kickstart Edie's Countdown to COP28. Here to help me preview the conference and what it could mean for the private sector is Elliot Whittington, Chief System Change Officer at CISL. So Elliot, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for sparing the time. Um, I know it must be a busy time of year um, for CISL and I guess for those who are listening who have somehow um, missed the great work that, that the organisation is doing, it'd be great to start with a brief introduction. Sure. Well, CISL, we are, we're part of the University of Cambridge, um, but we've worked for over 30 years to support businesses and governments and, and financial institutions on the journey towards sustainability. We're very much focused about on, on unlocking the transition towards a sustainable economy. So we work with different actors in the economy. So as those I've talked about, business, government, financial institutions, and we, we bring together a whole set of different activities from a huge range of educational work um, to um, a body of research, foresight and analysis work to um, a body of convening. So we run a number of business groups, such as our corporate leaders groups, but also groups in the financial space, such as our banking environment initiative. Um, and finally, we have uh, support for entrepreneurs and startups. So we're that kind of whole spectrum support on the sustainability journey. Got it. And we know that this is the sort of organisation that is needed at UN Climate Cops and does indeed participate. Um, so how have you and your team taken part in previous editions of, of the COP? Um, and what do you have planned for, for this year? So we've been to several COPs. I think probably the first one that we engaged with was um, back in 2004. So we've, we've been on that journey, you know, being part of the, the UN process. And we do, you know, we do a number of activities. In many ways, the COPs are a great opportunity to engage with the kind of cutting edge of the sustainability and particularly obviously the climate change focused conversation, because you have a number of experts and you have a number of senior decision makers, particularly from governments present. Um, and we've used that to kind of showcase and develop various um, activities and conversations. But we've also used it as a moment where we have worked with partners to bring forward the business community. So, um, you know, originally we we organised a series of what we call communiques. So we mass sign on statements from the business community talking about the need for global agreements on climate change. Um, then we were um, we worked together with a number of other organisations to help found the We Mean Business Coalition. So that's a big coalition that brings together a number of business facing organisations and has taken the level of business, positive business organising around climate change to the next level. So there's been that sense of, you know, the business presence engaging in these these big global moments in a progressive, positive way, being able to kind of talk about the need for change, being able to talk about the need for stability and alignment and progress um, and communicate particular messages into the decision makers who are part of it. Um, so that, that's been really important. It's, it's a place for, for talking to each other, listening to each other, but also, yeah, delivering that message about what needs to happen. And as, as you've mentioned, um, businesses have been increasingly engaged in COPs. A lot of people say since Paris, particularly, that this has been um, seen. And as we all know, the work doesn't start on the first day of COP. We always have a year to build up. 
Um, this year, there's been a lot of engagement from CISO and others with the G20 and other pre-talks, but the general consensus is that these talks didn't really come up with a strong foundation for an agreement on energy transition goals. There was a lot of talk about we can't do this during the cost of living crisis. We need to use fossil fuels from somewhere other than Russia. We can't go straight to renewables. So what can be done by these non-state actors that you mentioned, including business, to encourage negotiators to get back on track? Because it does seem that some of the business calls to action ahead of G20 maybe didn't pack quite the punch that they have in previous years. I think it's worth taking a step back and looking at where we're at with with these conversations. As, as you've said, you know, we are in an increasingly complicated moment. So particularly on the energy front, um, both the recovery from the COVID pandemic uh, and indeed measures from the financial crisis and the, the invasion of Ukraine have all made kind of delivered really big shifts in the energy landscape. But the, the other the thing that I would say is that, you know, what that has revealed is not that we're on track for the kind of levels of energy, of the speed of the transition that we need to, to address climate change, to get to, you know, to, to deliver on those big climate goals like keeping global warming below 1.5 degrees, those are very much in danger. So the speed of changes is very much contested and that is really difficult. But the direction of travel actually has proven to be even more resilient and more robust. And you've seen, you know, the cost reductions from renewables globally really mounting up. You've seen the the levels of deployment um, really mounting up. Um, And if you look at the kind of structural shifts in the energy sector, we are seeing that and we're seeing a lot of that driven by non-state actors. So, so that is happening. And I think that is recognised by, by policymakers, but it is clearly, we're in a moment where it is clearly difficult to convince policymakers that they need to keep pressing the accelerator because they've got all these kind of headwinds. And I think we should acknowledge that. But, you know, the message that I think I hear from business and I think businesses everywhere need to to keep communicating to uh, their government stakeholders is like if you look at the fact that we're going in this particular direction, what business needs is the is the confidence to be able to invest. They need that clarity and certainty about the future, and you know that that doesn't come when policymakers do stop start measures. And if so, what happens if you get sort of stop start measures is you get businesses not knowing which way things are going to go, businesses being uncertain, you know, of what speed that they should be. Um, uh, deploying things, which means that we'll just get less investment in the energy system. So, you know, I think there is a very clear, consistent message about the fact that we're on a transition. We do need to navigate real challenges. So we're getting into the detail of it. So, you know, renewables are deploying. We're seeing increasing ambition working its way through the system. And that does mean that there are challenges around, you know, reorienting grids. There are challenges around planning policy. There are challenges around really kind of quite concrete things. But those are solvable challenges. And, Actually, what we need is not not kind of like to drop ambition, but almost to renew ambition to solve those problems rather than to keep ourselves moving forward. I mean, I also just wanted to briefly talk about, you know, you asked about the climate negotiations per se. And of course, you know, we've moved from a different stage in the negotiations up until, the, the, you know, the period from 
um, for a few years in for a couple of for a decade or so in the run up to Paris was very much about the fact that we needed a new global framework for, for climate action. We had Kyoto. It wasn't delivering enough. We needed something new. Paris delivered that global framework. And that was like the fine details of its design were agreed in Glasgow. So we've got that global structure in place. And that was that was a really important job. And it, it's it's there. Um, what we now need to do is to, is to move on to implementation. And so COP28 is a really important stage and post on that journey. It's got some big things to do. It's got the, you know, one of the biggest things is it has to receive and acknowledge the global stock take. So if we're on a journey that Paris has, has sort of written the roadmap, Paris wrote the roadmap, Glasgow set some staging posts along the way, um, you know, COP28 is about the moment where we kind of like look how far we've progressed on that map. And that's what the global stock take is. And we we look at whether there are some shortcuts, whether there are um, ways that we can accelerate or whether, you know, w- what we need to do. Um, that will be written and published in advance of the COP. But actually how how governments receive that at the COP, how they respond to it will be a really, really critical signal. And then the other things will be a lot of it will be about how we move on some of the specifics. So, you know, unlocking the right levels of flow of finance, unlocking sort of near term action. So that, you know, particularly the focus on the energy transition. And obviously this has been controversial, exactly as you say. And you've seen these um, discussions with governments where, you know, actually it was the Indian government that put forward this idea that the COP should explicitly acknowledge the need to phase down, in their words, fossil fuels. Um, and that has not passed. But you know, the, the Women Business uh, Coalition has developed a campaign which is called From Fossil to Clean to just make it really clear the direction of travel. So, as I say, what business needs is clarity and certainty. And what we need to do is, t- is take the science as the guiding post and, and, and get that into policy and get that into evidence. Um, so there is, a, there is a lot to be done. I guess the other thing I would say that is going to be critical in these negotiations, I've talked about finance, I've talked about global stock take, is actually the resilience side of things, the adaptation side of things that we, you know, this summer has been a really, where wherever you live pretty much, this summer has been a really concrete example of climate change becoming real. Climate change is not just something in the future, it is an experience that we're all going through right now that will continue to worsen. We obviously have to put more measures in place to ensure that we're able to, do with, to deal with that because actually, you know, these, these things are all related. The fact that, you know, there are all sorts of costs and, and issues arising is making it harder to do the energy transition. So we, we need to be resilient and we need to kind of do that as well. And that's arguably been an area that hasn't had the right level of attention and a good discussion. And so COP28 will really need to see some more progress on that. I think it was last year the Sharm el-Sheikh adaptation agenda got launched. So I know that checking up on that a year on is a really important milestone, as you mentioned. Elliot, but I also wanted to come back to your point that you emphasised there about implementation. It's often been said that the UN and national governments can set the ambition, but the implementation really depends on local action and on lacking finance um, in which the private sector has a massive role to play. And you've talked about how essentially positive business organising around climate at COPs, it didn't used to be a thing and now is a massive thing, exponential growth but equally in the lead up to this COP we've heard the concerns about will business be a force for bad is there too much say from the big polluters pushing back into the old system so I wanted to get your take on what can really be done to make sure that business is proactive speaking with one voice and is a force for good at this COP. 
I mean, that's a really good question. And there is an argument to say that maybe business should not be speaking with one voice because business is really differentiated. And and yet, I mean, so, you know, in the short term, different businesses have got obviously got different interests and every business will be thinking about their their kind of like their quarterly returns, their financial reports and what they what they need to do to kind of safeguard the short and long term interest of their business. I mean, there is a fundamental truth, which is, you know, if we don't tackle climate change, the level of disruption we'll see to our society, to our economy, to our natural environment will be such that the long term prosperity of any business is in danger. And I I would argue that any business leader who seriously engages with the climate science will find that a pretty unarguable thing. So there is an argument that you know, there is a there is a, a one voice that should be heard from business, which is that this problem absolutely has to be dealt with and kicking the can down the road and avoiding that is not helpful creating a, a pro-business environment for anybody. I think I think that absolutely is a message that we try and ensure the businesses understand and have the capacity to respond to. Um, and I think lots of other organisations do as well. There are clearly also, you know, businesses who are more comfortable showing leadership and I think I think this is a moment that needs leadership I think we don't necessarily talk about it and that doesn't have to be about individuals it can be about organizations and systems and structures but it is it is really clear that um, you know in tackling climate change we're doing something that's quite complicated it's quite difficult it involves different different groups moving together and it's exactly that kind of thing that you talked about with the UN is like you know we've got it's a we're trying to change the whole global economy we have this system where a lot of people look at these big global meetings and expect them to deliver the solution on the plate, but they're just part of it. They're part of the system. They create some ambition. National governments then uh, then talk about how they're going to set their own ambitions in line with that global ambition. And non-state actors need to work with national governments, with international bodies such as like, you know, the international development banks, that kind of thing, the financial institutions, to invest, to build new things, to create the actual physical structure of the economy in line with that ambition. So it's a really complicated thing that we're trying to do. I think one of the most concrete examples of leadership that is is growing and has been growing more and more is just actually getting on and building the green economy. So the the more examples that we have of, you know, uh, expansion of renewables, expansion of the circular economy, the uh, development of new energy efficiency solutions, the development of new technologies in terms of providing cheap sustainable food sources um for affordable sustainable food sources for people all of these different areas um and it, there could be more and more examples the more concrete examples that could be provided the easier it is for the rest of the system to respond so that's probably the, the most important thing but there's also this question of vis- visibility because everybody can get stuck in the short term everybody can get stuck in the like we have to deal with this problem and this problem and the world is full of problems right now but I, so that's where I think the, there's a really important need for a joined up business voice to say, no, we are aware of the long term as well. We we know that we need to solve these long term problems and we're committed to moving on this transition. We're committed to kind of sticking to our guns and, and moving forward. And we need policymakers to have that same level of commitment and and clarity and stability around that. Um, and I think that that should be a message that m- almost any business should feel able to deliver um, because Ultimately, as I say, it comes back to the long-term viability of all businesses. 
I mean, I could talk to you about this all day, Elliot. I've got noted down there the importance of, as you say, maintaining long term certainty while looking at the near term challenges um, and also the importance of businesses really showing the possible that these are exponentially growing economies and sectors. These aren't theories anymore and they can't be far off technologies anymore because we need that implementation. Um, so a real rallying cry there and some great tips for preparing for the conference. But I think we're just about out of time for our call. So Elliot, thank you so much for being our guest on Susty Talks today. You're very welcome. It's been lovely to speak to you and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch to, to keep you guys posted in terms of activities at the COP and we all reflect on, on how it goes.